show you my new tea drawer that I organized. I was just about to talk about porn, but then you talked about porn. <laughs> Different sorts of porn. That's fine. Tell me. Tell um, me. I'll close my eyes. I got the like clear yeah, containers. You did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> anyway, the tea drawer is looking really sexy. <laughs> That's good because you don't have to open the lid anymore. Yeah. Sexy. Yeah. I want to get um, some containers for my office cupboard to put like all my, because I recycle a lot of wrapping paper and okay. then like reuse it, but I want to have a place for it. Yeah. So I want some containers for that. Because I got, I'll show you as well, because I, I don't think you've been here since I got it, but from Ikea. Yes. Um, that's technically a plastic bag holder, but I'm using it as a wrapping paper holder. Ooh. Yeah, it's really good. So I just got it like stuck to the side of my thing. Because who has plastic bags now? Right. But they're really cheap for my hair. When I got the containers. I think I know clothes. the one that you're talking yeah. about because I think I used to own it. They're like $3. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ikea. Yeah. So good. So good. Yeah. Hi, Josephine. <laughs> You're so cute. Thank you. So are you. How are you? I'm good. Good. Yeah. Are you happy at school holidays? I am fucking ecstatic. Yes. <laughs> I'm happy. You're happy. The The freedom I feel is unprecedented. Yeah. I'm happy that like all my friends like have school holidays because I'm still only working half day. So it, like, yeah, you can see, just like see people. You do have an insane amount of friends who are teachers. Yeah. There's so many of our friends That's who are weird. teachers. What? I just think it's where. Is that just an arts thing? Yeah, yeah, I think it yeah. is. Because what else are we going to do with those well, useless and lots degrees? lots of them are like drama teachers or music teachers yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, lots of them are. Exactly. Oh, fun. Yeah. Uh, has it been a good week for you? Yeah, pretty good. Welcome everyone to My Favourite Musical. <laughs> anyway, carry on. It's been a good week. <laughs> yeah, anyway, what will we say? <laughs> um, this is a podcast. I where... went wine tasting at the beginning of the week. Did you? I yeah. didn't know that. Oh, man. It was really full on oh, though because. I did. You are in The Hunter. I was in The Hunter and. Like we had to pre-book. Yes, I've heard this. Everywhere that we went. And our normal thing, because we're really cheap, so cheap, is that we were like go wine tasting and then just like we'll challenge ourselves to find a way to get out of there without buying anything. Oh, no. <laughs> and because of COVID, they can't have many people in tasting. So like yeah. we would walk into a vineyard that we'd booked and we would be like the only ones yeah. there. And so when you've got two employees like pouring you wine, then afterwards you're like, um, I'll I'll buy a couple of things, yeah. I suppose. You kind of have, and you want to as well. well I wanted to, them, right? That's yeah. Right. But also, this was the first time where we like paid for every single tasting, so oh. I also felt good in that I'd already given them my money because that's it, and like it's refundable towards your purchase. No. Right? Oh, really? Not at the moment. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that it was just like tasting cost ten dollars, and that's that. I guess they have to. It's totally fine. Like I'm, yeah. I'm really also because we've had years and years of free wine. That's right. At tastings, like yeah, it's about time. But yeah, it's it was awesome. I love yeah. wine so much. I don't like wine, but yeah. I love that you love wine. It's it makes me happy. Yeah. So this is my favorite musical. It's podcast, and that's Ruth, and that's Josephine. Yes, hello. We talk about musicals in this podcast. Yeah, it's about musicals. If you don't like musicals, you're probably in the wrong place. Yeah, like I, it's probably not the podcast for you, really. Yeah, this is not the way to get into musicals. No, it's <laughs> us nerding out. <laughs> Trust me, it's not the way. It's not. It's not watch the way. Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, actually, just watch Hamilton. So that'll help. Um, yeah, we'd like you to rate, review, subscribe, all that sort of jazz. Yeah. 
Please. Please. It'd be great. We have, we bring out two episodes every week. We have on Monday, we bring out our full episode where we talk about our favorite musicals. And on Thursday, we release our mixtape episode, which is where we tell you 10 of our favorite musical songs. Yeah. On and, a theme. Yeah, on a theme. This is episode 25. I know. If we started adding the mixtapes in, what number would we be up to, do you reckon? Because oh, almost 50, like not well, yeah, quite, but like 40-something. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah. Huh. Um, but 25, that means like it's been almost six months as well. Is it maybe time for Andrew to unbox the water filter now, You'd do you think? you think so. After this many episodes. It's just watching us <clears throat> in its box. For those who are just joining us right now. There's a water filter in the studio that's been in here for, I don't know, four years. Probably. This studio hasn't even existed for four years. It predates it, the studio. <laughs> it was just here on this lab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was here when the studio was an old <laughs> garage. It looks – but the picture, like it's got like, lovely lemon in the water. It looks really palatable. And, like, it would be lovely for Josephine and I to have a nice glass of cool water while we're recording. Don't I you think, Josephine? I frequently think that as I'm recording. Yeah. I think, wouldn't it be lovely to have a cool glass of water? I know. Because it's, yeah, it's a filter and a cooler. Just sits here mocking us. I'm going to unbox it. Are you? Yes. We'll Imagine if it's it. just empty. We'll film it for the Instagram. Is it an empty box? Oh, it fucking better not be. <laughs> um, do you have a spotlight for us? I do. I'd love how you're mixing up the format. I'm sorry. I have And them, when I say love, them, I mean I hate it. I obviously have them written in a different order on my sheet than Josephine. And normally Josephine is the one that leads the conversation. We so have, I just go We with have it. an order and you're fucking What's it up. What's the first normally? Apologies. We always start with apologies. Oh, do you have any apologies? I do. Oh, sorry. Oh, God. Okay. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about Rob Guest when we, when we first started talking about the Rob yep. Guest endowment. And I'm not going to talk about the Rob Guest endowment again, but the first time we spoke about him, I said I thought he might have been Australia's first enjolras. Yeah. And listening back to that episode, my husband gleefully corrected me. Oh, really? Because he's like a lame is tragic, so he knew straight away. Um, he was actually the second Jean Valjean after Normie Rowe. Oh, yes, Rob of Guest. course. And I knew that he graduated to Jean Valjean because in the 10th anniversary con- Dreamcast concert, at the end, all these Jean Valjeans That's come right. out and, and do it sing. In the different do you hear the people sing? Languages. Yeah, right? Rob Guest is one of them. Yeah. So, interestingly, I didn't, because I did some research just to make sure Shane was correct because I didn't believe him. Yes. <laughs> did you know um, that Rob Guest was has is the longest serving Phantom? Yes, I did know that. And he still holds that record. Yeah. He has performed it 2,289 it's times. insane. Yes. Yeah. And he still holds that record. And I he, know. And he did die in 2008. Was it 2008? Yeah. yeah. So, so wow. were you still at uni? <clears throat> I was. Yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah, it happened because um, a friend of mine was in Wicked and it just happened when she like started right. um, being in Wicked. Yeah, God, it's it's a crazy that it's been that long since Wicked premiered in Australia. Yes, yeah, yeah. full on. Yeah, that's insane. Um, while I was there too, this is not an apology, but I was looking at like stats of people who've played Phantom. Yeah. And this sort of segues into a spotlight. But, yeah, I was reading that um, Norm Lewis was the very first yeah, African-American, like, African-American yeah. Phantom, but also like sort of the first baritone slash – and to be like to sing that. Here's role. the thing: I love Norm Lewis, right? Yeah. But I know people who saw him as the Phantom, and it's like, probably not he, like, the right voice type. Yeah, it, it's not right. Like, like you do need it to be a, at least a Barry tenor. I yeah, think. but he's more like a Barry bass. To yeah, be fair. like he's got that beautiful deep yeah. voice, and I'm sure some of it was great, and he would have acted the shit out of it. Yeah. But like, I know people who saw it. Our friend Amanda, shout out to Amanda, who's a big fan of the podcast. Um, as she should be. She saw it on Broadway, and it was 
it was she was so excited yeah. and she yeah it was just really disappointing because I think he cracked on the big note yeah. in music of the night that and, sucks yeah yeah I mean not like it doesn't suck it sucks for him that's yeah yeah like when I read it I thought oh wow because we we just sort of talked about baritones and basses and and like the differences between those voice types and Norm Lewis is like a proper baritone yeah so to think that he could do that tenor role and he like he a lot of people can sing outside their type yeah. that's totally fine but maybe not you know eight shows a week and exactly like that, that's asking quite a lot of a voice yeah. type to sing outside of range so yeah, yeah. anyway yeah, interesting. interesting do you have any apologies for us um i don't good on you <laughs> now rip have you got a spotlight for us i do do you want me to go first yeah you go first okay so mine this week is technically a video that i'm going to link to cool um but it's a video by um the organization broadway for racial justice oh yeah we've and spoken about them have we i don't think one that we covered we might have mentioned them I have have you I'm sure I have okay um I wasn't sure because it's like obviously like a number of these organizations Mm. that have sprung up yeah so Broadway for Racial Justice are a non-profit fighting for racial justice and equity by providing immediate resources assistance and amplification for BIPOC in the Broadway and theatrical community at large and basically like they've been very effective in their amplification of black voices like um they've sort of harnessed the popularity and reach of broadway performers and had them like you know so like a broadway performer might like hand over their instagram to a nice. black performer for the yeah. for the 24 hours or whatever and give Benedict resources and that. stuff like lots of them have done yeah. it and that's kind of been a big part of their mission is mm. like amplifying voices that sort of thing so um, what I'm going to link to is a video that that was released recently that's they've sort of called like hashtag we are not a trend mm. and it's an 11 minute video of anonymous stories of the black experience in the American musical theater nice um and so it's anonymous and so instead like the stories are read by members of the non-bipoc Broadway community basically Excellent. so like some really famous performers are reading these stories and like the stories are awful but sadly like not at all surprising yeah wow um, and so important yeah exactly like lots of performers being asked to be say like more urban or mm. you know like being told to play nice when someone is like demonstrably racist against them but because they're some like wealthy donor or whatever Fuck. and it's just it's literally like 11 minutes of these stories it's really worth watching yep. we're gonna link to the video that's um, so important or you know you can follow them on instagram broadway broadway for racial justice so yeah definitely worth watching that's great yeah mine's almost along the same lines but australian yeah i'm a couple of months late with this and i'm a bit embarrassed about that but i read an article in um, the city morning herald about australia's premier drama school nida which stands for National Institute of Dramatic Art. So in June this year, a group of alumni and staff and current students um, under the name NIDA Alumni for Black Lives Matter uh, drafted a letter and sent this letter to the CEO of NIDA, Liz Hughes, accusing the school of systemic and institutionalised racism. Okay. This letter was signed by over 100 people um, and it really called NIDA to, quote, forge a campus where students from all walks of life can exist without issues of racism and can explore their stories safely. Um the letter said it was like deeply troubling that the Institute had not spoken more loudly on the Black Lives Matter movement because yeah. they have been largely silent right, since okay. the beginning of Black Lives Matter this year. Um, and there was like there's some great quotes. So here's another one. Your neutrality has been complicit in white supremacist 
and colonial violence, where you could have had a greater impact than the tokenism of the Institute. So there were a bunch of testimonials attached to the letter and some NIDA alumni described a culture where students of colour were sidelined, made to feel like they were fulfilling diversity quotas, mm. um, speaking out about race and discrimination was discouraged and staff and directors were mostly white, yeah. which is not surprising at all and, and obviously not on. I think like as I was reading the article and then I sort of got deep into what was the impact of this letter, I think the calling out of this of this behaviour is really important. Unfortunately, I actually really struggled to find what NIDA has done yeah. since the letter. So um, there was like an apology released and Liz Hughes, the CEO, like responded to the letter and in her response she said like in the next four weeks I'm going to make sure there's action mm. taken and there'll be more representation of BIPOC and it just like I can't see any evidence yeah. of that, which is so shit. So, I mean, I could be, I could just not be looking in the right place. So if you out there know more but about like if it's on their website, like it should be front and centre on their website, Exactly. Right? Yeah. So the, if you go to their website, because that's exactly what I thought, I thought, well, they'll probably address it on their website. There's just like a, um, a statement from a board member just saying like Liz Hughes has sent an email, mm. you know, refer to that. We'll, we'll do, we're going to refer to um, First Nations people and people of colour for our help. And that's really all it says. Like yeah. it doesn't say anything about the practicalities of how they're going to fix yeah. the problem. Um it's a long time ago, but I remember when I was at uni, um, a friend of mine at uni auditioned and got didn't get in, but got quite far. Yeah. And a comment, one of the comments that they made to him at the time was, um, you know, oh, you've done well because you're a wog and you're smart, Fuck. and those two things don't normally go hand in hand. Jesus Christ! Like literally said that to him. Like, I, yeah, it was 15 years ago, more, but... There's not really a time when racial slurs right. are okay. Exactly. That's fucked, man. Exactly. Well, I'm just... I'm not I'm not surprised and also incredibly shocked that NIDA is sort of sitting on this, on this letter and this information and not doing anything yeah. about it. Like, there's no substantial change or that I can see anyway, so they're keeping it really well hidden if they yeah. have, and I think that's not in their best interest. It just so. shows you what an overhauling our entire industry needs, yes, you know. Like, exactly. this, what happened with the endowment, like, it's all hand in hand. Absolutely. So, yeah, it, it's disappointing, not surprising, um, but, yeah, that's, that is really our leading yeah, like dramatic school. I do, and I, I'm. My understanding is that Whopper only had Whopper, which is the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, which is kind of our other main drama school in yes. Australia, and sort of the main one for musical theatre. Mm. Only had its first Indigenous graduate like a few years ago in the musical theatre program. It's like yeah. insane. That's just really yeah yeah. What the yeah, fuck? It's Seriously, ridiculous, ridiculous. Yeah, so um, that's been our spotlight. Indeed. Do you want to tell us about theatre explained? Sure. What's our topic? So this week we're talking about blackouts and dead blackouts. And when or DBO. I, when I wrote this, did you know exactly what I was talking about? Not, I didn't know what DBO stood for. Oh, nice. Yeah. And have you learnt something? I have. <laughs> tell us what you learnt. Well, so a blackout is the complete absence of stage lighting, right? No? Sort so, of. Like the exit lights are still on, blue working lights are still on. Yes, yeah, so working lights are still on. But there's no light on stage. Yes, that's right. Sta- no stage lighting. No stage lighting, yeah. that's right. There are still like blue working lights, which are usually towards the back of the stage yeah. for like crew for crew to move set around. Yeah. Yeah, that's a blackout. And like emergency lighting is still on. Of course, yeah. But then during a dead blackout, everything's off. Everything, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you still have to keep exit signs on even in a dead blackout. Oh, do you? Yeah, that's a legal requirement. Oh, so 
Okay, so because one of the notes I had written down is um, I went to a show in Sydney, I think last year at STC, mm. and it was like a – you know how they have the warning signs as you walk in? It's like haze is used, like yes. strobe lights, and it was like this production contains a full theatrical blackout. Those were the terms that they – the term that they used. Yeah, right. And I just loved that term. Like my friend and, my friend and I who were together we were like, that we should start a band called Full Theatrical Blackout. Like, what a great name! <laughs> it actually sounds like you've had like too much theatre and you've just blacked yeah. out. Like you're on a you yeah, just went never. on a theatre bender. I've done like sixteen shows <laughs> in ten days, and that would still not see. Be I me. would be then in a full theatre blackout. Yeah, <laughs> but no, you just legally you just can't turn like yeah. exit exit lights off. I, I have seen people um, do a thing where they'll just like have the ushers hold up something in front of the yeah. exit sign at that point. That's mildly illegal. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but a dead blackout usually it's also usually accompanied by a snap blackout which is like instant darkness yes and yeah the blue working lights have to come out like all lights go off yeah and it's not very common it's really not yeah yeah um and i also liked that it's obviously can also be used as a term to describe the act of turning off or fading out stage like to go to blackout yeah that's right yeah. so it, it's a verb as well as like a yeah yeah Exactly. Yeah, so that is uh, blackout and dead blackout. Yeah. And usually on lighting desks, like if you're a lighting operator, there'll be a button for a DBO. Yeah. Um, which will just be like you can push that button and automatically everything will shut off because usually like if, you, if you're if you operating lights, like say you might have a couple of faders up for different sort of controlling different lights. Yeah. Um, so it may be too difficult to like fade them all down so you just push the, dead, the DBO button yeah. and you'll get a dead blackout. I assume that kids learn that when they do entertainment they at do. school, right? I yeah. wish that subject existed when I was doing the HSC. I know. And we were actually quite close because my brother did it in the HSC. Oh, okay. But he was like in the second year of it existing. Right. So we, I just, we missed out. I would have out. loved to have learned all that stuff. It's really interesting. Yeah. And a lot of like I get a lot of kids who come and do it who aren't theatre kids or aren't drama kids but oh, are just really? fascinated in like – by audio or, yeah, by operating yes. really cool equipment because yeah. usually like the lighting equipment's really cool, yeah. audio equipment's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I know. Um, do you have any recommendations this week? I do actually. Um, so the very first one, yeah, shout out to Rose. Our friend Rose sent me a video yesterday. So there are a number of video parodies of the incredible song <laughs> WAP. Do we say WAP or yeah, WAP? I think WAP. WAP. Wet ass oh, pussy, wap, whatever wap, yeah, it is. Wap, okay. um, so there are a number of parodies of WAP out there already because obviously, like, it's such a it's such a buzz song and everyone's yeah. talking about it. But the best one I've seen by far is called um, WAP, but it's the most emotional song from a musical. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking perfect. It's just basically like Dear Evan Hansen, yeah. but with the lyrics of oh. WAP. And so at the very beginning, it's like whores in this house. There's some whores in this house, like. And yeah. during the chorus, there's this whap, whap, whap. It's just it's oh, fucking hilarious. so good. Yeah, so watch that. It's very enjoyable. I will link to it. And my other recommendation is that I was reminded of the existence of this excellent um, SNL sketch. Yeah. You actually messaged oh, me yeah, during yeah. the week and you were like, can I have the link to that? And it took me ages to find it because it's not on YouTube. Yeah. It's on like MetaTube or whatever. Yeah. But it's basically Will Ferrell is a drama teacher and he's like putting out the cast list of a high school musical. Yeah. Whether Like the high school are doing Bye Bye Birdie and it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. And so those are my recommendations. Yeah. I, re- I rewatched it after you How sent me good the link. Is it? It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Act as if you've betted one thousand women. Yes. <laughs> what are they doing? Bye bye, bye, bye birdie. birdie. Yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so my recommendations this week is a bit self-serving, my first one. I love it. Um, So, like, back when the Tony Awards were supposed to be on back in June and they weren't on, on the day that it was supposed to be on, I made, like, a my favourite Tony Awards video. So you didn't watch the Sing Along Grease? Playlist. I did not watch Sing Along Grease, <laughs> I am sorry to say. Um, I just made a YouTube playlist of all my favourite Tony Awards performances. Oh, my God. Um, so I'm going to link to that. You're such it, a loser. It's, it's great. It's a great playlist and I want everyone to watch it that's the loserest thing you've ever said you can go fuck yourself <laughs> um, my other video and I'm, I'm actually surprised that I haven't linked to this one before yeah is um you know Josh Colley who I, I think I spoke about him yes in um, the lame is was it the lame is episode where he did the he was the youngest Valjean ever that's right yeah yeah so it's like he was a Gavroche in um yeah, on the most mentioned. recent Broadway revival of lame is and they did a thing at the Easter bonnet I linked to it before where he he did the confrontation, he, he right? He the confrontation with, like, uh, an, an adult, an adult Javert, yeah. and it's him, and it's so good. Yeah, it's, and I was reminded clever. that um, for Miscast, the benefit that's held every year, he and two other young, very young Broadway performers did um, the Skylar Sisters. Oh, nice. And it's so good. So it's him, Joshua Colley, he was in Les Mis, a boy called Luca Padavan who was in School of Rock, and a boy called Douglas Baldeo who was in Kinky Boots at the time. Oh, my God. And they do the Skylar Sisters, and it's really great. It's that's really cool. Awesome. Awesome. And really great. They're all like twelve or whatever. Um, so I'm going to link to that one as well. I haven't seen that. I haven't I you? Love that. Oh no. yes, yeah. You'll have to watch it. Because so I good. love Miscast. Yes. So um, did uh, did you watch the virtual one this year? No. Oh, it, I have to say I didn't think it was as good. Mm. Um, because it was all kind of. I don't know, like there's something about that Sondheim 90th concert that felt actually live, even though it wasn't. Yeah. Um, but this felt quite pre-recorded, I yeah, have to right. say. Like it was you could tell that people had like pre-recorded their vocals and were uh. like lip-syncing to them sometimes. It just took away a bit of the live atmosphere of it. Yeah, okay. Um, there were some bits in it that were really good. But I don't know, the whole thing of miscast is someone getting up and yeah. singing something ridiculous. I, you know I've been? No. Yeah. So Shit. what? Twenty sixteen. It was when I was living in the UK. Yeah. And I was on a work trip to the US. And um, yeah, it was just like normally. So it's like a big charity benefit dinner. Yeah. Um, and it's in like a big ballroom in New York. And so the whole floor is all like people have paid like five thousand dollars a ticket, and Fuck. it's like white tie and whatever. Yeah. And then up there's kind of like seating up the back, like on another, on like a mezzanine level. And they just sell kind of at the last minute, they sell some tickets up there. Like I think the idea is mostly it's press. Yeah. And then they'll just sell some random tickets. So I still probably paid $150, something like that, like a Worth fair it. bit. Mm. But yeah, I went. So like the year that Tina Fey and Titus did You're Nothing Without Me. Nice. And um, Gavin Creel and Aaron Tveit did um, Take Me or Leave Me. Holy fuck. Yeah. So it's great. So yeah, I was like, right. But yeah, it was obviously so worth it. You know, um, years and years ago when I was at uni with our friend Aaron, yeah. we came up with the idea of a co- of like a cabaret show that was basically Miss Car. Yeah. So we wanted to do all the songs that we would just never be able to do, yeah. like the roles we would never be able to play. Yeah. But it just well, never happened. Bro- they have Broadway Backwards as well as another good one. It's yeah. a similar theme. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, That's cool. I love that sort of thing. Me too. Yeah. It's great. It's a great opportunity to do those songs. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like I'm never going to sing Old Man River. Exactly. So I may as well, yeah. You would have killed it. Thank you. Um, You're first this week. About time. <laughs> Shut up. It never fucking you happens. You are first 50% of the time. Oh, here we go. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm going to talk to you about Spring Awakening. Yay. Really? Sort of. 
I have mixed feelings. Make up about your the show. mind. Which one is it? I think the music is beautiful. Yeah, I'm surprised that you even said yay. Yeah, because there's a little bit of me who now even like, like cringes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. So the, the this musical arrived in my life at the exact time that it should in order for it to be enjoyed. Yes, like I was 17. And a musical about angsty teenagers, which yeah. is exactly what it is, and sexual awakening was topical as fuck. Like, yeah. that's just like, it's the perfect time for this musical it's, to show up. It's one of the ones that you remember, like, when I first went to New York when I was 20 and Broadway was closed. Yeah. Um, it, it, I would have seen the original cast. Yeah, fuck, imagine. But Broadway, like, that's, what, that's one of the yes. two shows that I would have seen. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So upsetting. Yeah, that is upsetting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because, I mean, by all accounts, that was an incredible production. Yeah. But, like, so, yeah, just to put it into perspective, like, this show really opened when Ruth and I were at the right age yeah. to consume it. But now I think it's a very different story. I don't think it necessarily holds appeal to everyone, although the music is gorgeous, yeah. as Ruth said. Like, the music is really beautiful. But so if you're a teenager right now and you haven't listened to this yet, I think you should. Definitely. I think get moving, get amongst it. If you're in your 30s, you probably don't need to be reminded of teenage angst. Yeah. Like, that's really and what this will do. it is super angsty. It's so full on. Yeah. Like you possibly also hate the sound of Leah Michelle's voice, so don't <laughs> listen to the cast I recording. I like showing you whispering and being like, "You sound like this girl." Do you remember? Right. But yeah. at the very beginning, I that's what my voice does sound yeah. like, and then it diverts. But anyway, yeah. um, I think this musical has already had its moment, but I could be wrong about that. Like I could be, I could be very wrong, but I just think that the people who would be inspired by this show have already been inspired yeah. by it, and I think they're mostly my age. Mm. So it's based on an 1891 German play of the same name. 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 By um, a playwright whose name is Frank Vedekind. And the plot of the musical is slightly different than the original play, but they're mostly the same. You know when my friend Jerry was at WAPA doing acting, they did the play. Yes. Yeah. I think I did know that. I've never never read the play or anything. Well, so when I was at uni, we did the musical. Yeah. Because it was the thing to do back then. Yeah. In the mid to late 2000s. Anyway, um, here's the plot. A lot of shit goes down. I'm going to really synthesise it for you because it's quite convoluted. Basically, a bunch of young teenagers are living in late 19th century Germany under oppressive religious conservatism and they're all coming to terms with puberty and sexuality and becoming adults. They're quite young. It yeah. never, it's never sort of explicitly stated how old they are, but they're very much in like early teenagehood. Yeah. Like they're not 16 or 17. No, you know they're like I mean? 13 or 14, Yeah, they're like, right? I would call them children. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Wendler, you could just call her Wendler. I'm going to call her Wendler because I feel like a, a vanker if I say Wendler. <laughs> um, she wants to know where babies come from, uh, but her mother refuses to tell her. So she's sort of our main character. Um, Moritz and his friend Melchior are the sort of two main male characters. They're trying to get through like pressures of school, grapple with sexual desire and masturbation, etc., etc. One of the girls, Martha, reveals that she's being molested by her father. Yeah, that's so right. Already full on. So Wendler and Melchior develop a thing, like a romantic thing, and eventually they have like clumsy teenage sex. Moritz, under incredible pressure from his parents to perform well at school, and he's like plagued by vivid sex dreams, which as we know now is probably just like wet dreams, commits suicide. Uh, Then it turns out that Wendler is pregnant and Melchior is like shipped off to a reform school. In the meantime, there are two of the schoolboys who realise they're attracted to each other and struggle with pursuing a gay relationship. 
Um, Melchior breaks out of his reform school and fight to find Wendla, but it's too late. He discovers that her mother has forced her to have an abortion and she died as, re- as a result of the botched like abortion. Because it's like a backyard abortion, yes, right? Yeah. Because we're talking about the yes. 1800s in the 1800s, Germany. Yeah. Um, Melchior considers killing himself because Wendla and Moritz are dead, um, but their ghosts appear to him and convince him to live his life. Yes. That's the plot. Yeah. Fucking angsty. And I'm sure you'll talk about it, but the sex scene, there's a lot of debate about, right? Yeah, well, like it's – and I don't really talk about oh, it. Okay. We can talk about it now. Yeah. But, like, the, it's quite um, graphic in the way that it represents these scenes. Like yeah. there's, there's, like, a masturbation scene and there's a sex scene. But and, also isn't it, like, some people call it, like, more of a rape well, than sex? And I will talk about this. But okay, the musical yeah. – in the musical, it's consensual. Yes. Definitely. But in the play. In the play, it's yeah. not. And I will talk about that. Yeah. But, yeah, so it's very controversial. And – I get shitty because when you read the plot, some people talk about things like, well, there are themes of incest and, like, there's no incest. It's child molestation. Yes, Just a couple of things like that. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the themes are not angsty so much as very serious themes, but I think it's presented in a way that it comes across as a teenage drama Mm. and maybe that's my main issue with it now. Yeah, okay. Anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, not to discount the themes. They're all very important. And obviously it's important to explore your sexuality and – Oppressive religious conservatism is not a great way to do that. No. Or place to do that. So obviously that's important to talk about. Anyway, some background. Yes. Spring Awakening is a book musical. It's often called a rock musical, although I think that title is was probably more applicable at the time it came out than now. Yeah. Like I just don't think you would call it a rock musical now. Oh, that's now. how a lot of musical theatre composers write now. Yes, that's yeah. right. It's very common. So when you listen to it, you'll be like, this is not a rock musical. It mm. sounds, it's more folky or like rock India, yeah. let's say, in its yeah. style. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's not a rock opera. They just call it a rock musical without really rock songs. Anyway, so Stephen Sater, who wrote the book and the lyrics, basically met his future creative partner, Duncan Sheik, at a Buddhist organisation in New York because oh. they're both um, Buddhists. They began collaborating then. So Duncan Sheik is like a singer-songwriter who has no background in theatre no. at all. Um, he'd written some songs for some some of Seder's plays, like standalone songs, and Seder had like conversely written lyrics for some of Duncan Sheik's songs and like on his studio albums. But then Stephen Seder, who had like always been a huge fan of the original play, approached Duncan Sheik in 1999 to write a musical version yeah. of it. Um In this interview that I watched, which I'll actually link to because it's really good, Duncan Sheik said he was quite reluctant for a few reasons to get involved with the project, but he felt he firstly had no experience of the world of musical theatre, but he also felt very strongly that theatre at the time largely was unrepresentative of the world of music and what Mm. people actually listened Mm. to and maybe the themes that are actually applicable to people and sort of it was that that was made him reluctant but also convinced him to do this because Stephen Sater said to him like well let's make it an indie rock show and let's like let's actually really change musical theatre and they did yeah as much as I maybe think this show now is quite dated it was groundbreaking at the time yeah in its style and everything so um, yeah, Seda convinced Sheik that they would do it They would, and off they went to start writing it. And the musical took like a fuckload of time to develop. Yeah. So they started writing in 1999 and it was basically in workshop form from 1999 until 2006. Yeah. So seven years of workshops. The workshops were extensive. It basically occurred 
as the actors were like actually growing up and yeah. hitting puberty. So like a lot of changes were made as the actors sort of were growing and most of the actors, the original cast were like involved in the workshop yeah, from the beginning. Yeah, which is crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. What a cool experience, right? I know. Um, Production. So after all those workshops, it premiered off-Broadway in May 2006 at the Atlantic Theatre oh, Company. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It was very quickly picked up and plopped on Broadway. It opened at the Eugene O'Neill Theatre in December 2006 and it closed in January 2009 mm. after 859 performances and 29 reviews. Yeah, previews. So, sorry, previews. <laughs> Thank you. I even wrote previews. Yeah. Like, anyway. It's – um. Uh, my understanding is that that's so like obviously the financial crisis happened in 2008. That's right. You, I don't know if you're about to say that, but like, no, there's always a huge slate of Broadway shows that closed in January 2009. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And like, I think Hairspray might have been one of them, like, shows that really people felt like we're going to run a long, lot longer. Well, yeah, there was no intention for it to close no. that early and it it would have continued to sell. Like it didn't close because it needed to close. Yeah. And it, it's not like even the stars leaving had affected it because the stars left quite a bit yeah. before then anyway. Like they were on their third. Well, and they third. weren't stars until they were in it, right? No, well, that's right. Yeah. But the people who, you know, had gotten a Originated, name for being in yeah. that. Yeah. So that was definitely a show that would have continued, I think, and yeah, it was just such a such a celebrated production that there was no reason for it to close. Yeah, yeah, apart from a global financial crisis. Yeah. So um, that production and most of the earlier workshops, like I said, starred Leah Michelle as Wendler, ugh, <laughs> and the lovely Jonathan Groff oh, as Melchior. Love. Yeah, we, we've talked him. We've talked about him extensively here. Yeah. What can we say except that we love him? He's so young in it. Yeah. Like when you look at videos of them performing at the Tonys and stuff, he's just such a little boy. I know, such a baby face as Such well. a baby face. Um, Moritz was played by the wonderful John Gallagher Jr. Who I'm also obsessed with. Oh, and rightly so. He was in the newsroom. He was in the newsroom. There's actually going to be a couple of uh, references to Aaron Sorkin in this okay. conversation, weirdly enough. But, yeah, if you've ever seen the newsroom, he is in that. He's one of the main characters. He's one of the main yeah. characters. He's very good. Um, some other notable cast includes Skylar Aston as That's Georg. Right. Yeah. You'll appreciate this. When Jonathan Groff left the show, he was replaced by the perfect Hunter Parrish. Oh, I don't. I think I vaguely knew that he was in it. I didn't realise that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we love Hunter Parrish. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's got such a heavenly voice. But anyway, the... This show is directed by Michael Mayer, who also directed the revival of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Yeah. That we've spoken about. And the production was incredibly successful. Yeah. Just like a lot of critics say it changed musical theatre and in lots of ways it really did, like I've already mentioned. Musicals just weren't really about like heavy shit even then. No. And the style of music was basically unheard of. Well, and how young the cast how were How young as well, they right? were. Exactly. Yeah. So... Um, interestingly too, the way it was staged was quite groundbreaking. Yes. There were 26 on stage seats for the audience. So you could be, cause it, I think the Eugene O'Neill theater is a proscenium. It's, it's where Mormon is now, yeah. right? But yeah. it's a, it's a proscenium yeah, arch sure, theater. Yeah. So it's a pretty traditional theater. So you can just have normal seats out in like the auditorium or you could sit on stage yeah. almost like, um, like a thrust stage. Yeah. So you could get those seats, but those seats also would sit the actors. So the actors never left the stage. Yeah. They would always be on stage, but if they weren't performing, they would go and sit amongst the audience on stage. Yeah, right. Yeah, which was really cool. Um, the show also featured like this really cool mix of like 19th century costuming and like rock grunge costuming yes. and the set was really cool. The like sort of scenic design, if you will, of the show I think was such a huge part of its success. Huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah, because it had this really like 
punky sort of feel almost. But And that they had handheld mics, right? They had handheld mics because yeah. there are some numbers that you think, oh, this is like a concert and then yeah. others where the music just so beautifully interweaves into the story that you forget they're singing and then, like I said, other times they're clearly singing. Do yeah. you know what I mean? So it's a cool mix of that, I think. Really clever. So that production recouped its $6 million budget in six months, so yeah. a financial success. Yeah. The cast recording was released when the show opened and that won a Grammy for Best Show Album in 2008. Yeah. During the 2007 awards season, Spring Awakening dominated, like yeah. dominated. So it was nominated for 11 Tonys, for nine Drama Desk Awards, for six Lucille Lortel Awards, three Drama League Awards, a Theatre World Award, a New York Theatre Critics Circle Award, three Outer Critics Circle Awards and an Obie. Yeah. It won the Tony for Best Musical that year. It was up against Mary Poppins, Curtains and Grey Gardens. Okay. Um, And it won seven other Tonys including Best Book, Best Score, Best Performance for John Gallagher Jr. Yes, Best Direction, Best Corey, Best Orchestrations and Best Lighting. Yeah, wow. So it did really well. Yeah. Yeah. Then after that, it had a US tour that ran from 2008 until 2010. Uh, Then it opened in London in January 2009 and it closed in May 2009. So, yeah, a short run but also at the peak of a financial crisis. But that production was successful. It won four Olivier Awards, including Best New Musical. Okay. So, like, it was... It was like beloved. critically, but maybe not commercially successful. That's right. I think at the time nothing was commercially successful, to be fair. Um, sort of unbelievably, there's already been a revival yeah. for such a new show. Um, in And we, I think we've actually spoken about this revival before. In 2015, Deaf West Theatre mounted a production directed by our lovely Michael Arden. Yeah. Um, this production was groundbreaking. Each character was double cast and performed simultaneously in sign language and English. Yeah. So, like, you would have, say, Wendler, who was, like, a either a deaf or, like, hearing impaired actor, would be signing in American Sign Language and then, like, as a mirror, there would be a woman singing Wendla and also playing an instrument. So, like, I think Wendla was a guitar player. Um, Just really beautiful, like a beautiful concept. Um, It worked particularly well for this show, I think, this format, because the show is so much about, like, miscommunication and people not having a voice when they're young. And so it's a lot about those teenage feelings of, like, no one's listening to me and I don't matter. So I think that worked really well the way that Deaf West did that. And so my understanding is that, uh, well, because I saw that revival. Yeah. um, And so it was around the same time that the play is set, the show is set, there was this um, backlash against letting deaf people use sign language. And so instead they wanted to make them all lip read and learn how to speak, right? That they couldn't have their own language. And so they, they were sort of trying to work that, into yes. the story of the show. That's right. Yeah. Well, because I think, and you could you could probably correct me because you actually saw it, I think there was a sense of the adults in the show not being happy that the actors were signing. That's right. So that yeah. was like added as an extra layer. Yeah. I will say that um, it's funny because I like, uh, and so my understanding is that that production was in LA. Yeah. They did it in LA. And, and then they took it to Broadway. And then it was yeah. like some producers saw it and were like, oh, my God, like this show has to be on Broadway yeah. kind of thing. Um, and we talked about the fact that. Um, Ali Stroker. I'm just yeah, about to talk about yeah, that. Yeah. Um, we'll mention that. But, yeah, one thing about that production, though, I will say is that if anything, although it was beautiful and they did a glorious job, it highlighted to me some of the flaws in the book. Yeah. Because um, everything was either signed or it was um, 
like subtitles were projected in some way on yeah. the stage. And just something about it being so spelled out yeah. just made me think like, oh, there's, there's there's some still some stuff that needs to be cut here. Like it was a bit slow at times yes. in the book scenes. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that was my, was my impression after seeing it. I think it's quite long. Like mm. I think the show is still too long. I just think it's a bit like overblown or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, d- I do wonder too because I've obviously been immersed in it this week if my frame of reference now is just not the right frame for this mm. show. Like if if I was just more receptive to it when I was a teenager than yeah. I could possibly be now. Yeah. Um, like I do think there's a little bit of that as an element in this. Yeah. So anyway, like Ruth mentioned, this um, – I'm going to reference the West Wing. Yeah. Um, the incredible actress Marley Matlin yes, yeah. played one of the adults. Um, so you would know her as Joey Lucas from the West Wing. She was also like in a really famous episode of Seinfeld. She's a beautiful actress. Um, She's one of the youngest people to ever win an Academy Award, I think. Yeah, that's true. And the, like the, one of the only deaf people to win an Academy yes, Award. Yes, she's like groundbreaking in, yeah. that, in that space. So, yeah, she's amazing. Um, also, like we just mentioned, it featured Ali Stroker who played Ada Annie in the Oklahoma Revival. Yeah. And she was the first performer on Broadway in a wheelchair for this <sighs> production. Yeah, in 2015. Crazy. Uh, the Revival was incredibly successful. It was nominated for the Tony for Best Revival and was really celebrated by critics for creating just more accessible theatre yeah. for people with disabilities. Yeah. Um, I've I, don't, linked... I don't think it was commercially successful. No, it wasn't. No. Um, but, yeah, it was just sort of love. Yes. I've yeah. linked to the like some footage of that production because it is beautiful to watch. Like yeah. It's just really pretty to watch. There isn't a cast recording and I also get why some of the singers are not necessarily like cast recording quality. Oh, interesting. <laughs> like. I think when you watch it, you're blown away by what they're doing and how beautiful it is. Yeah. But listening to it would not have any impact. I also, I think this might be, I don't think I'm talking out of turn. It was, it, there's no um, New York Public Library um, like filmed version of it either. There is actually. Oh, is well, there? according to a forum on Broadway World. Oh, really? Yeah, so there is that recording, apparently. Oh, I heard there wasn't. Mm. Well, maybe but this one person maybe, on the internet was wrong. On, no, maybe it's once on this island I'm thinking of, which is also Michael Arden. But yes. um I might be once on this island I'm thinking of, but that was what that was when I discovered that like the they choose what they're gonna film and what they're yeah. not gonna film. Yeah. Like, like the library let's does? Let's censor history. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's good if there is a. Yeah. Well, according to, like I said, this one forum, there is. Yeah. It's just not, obviously not readily available, yeah. but yeah. Um, so I, it's sort of a good thing that there isn't a cast recording. I don't think you need to listen to okay, it. Because yeah. I don't think there's anything to listen to. Yeah. So there have been so many international productions. Here's the list. There's one in Sweden, Finland, Hungary, Slovenia, Malta, Japan, Brazil, Philippines, Czech Republic. Here in Australia, did the you Sydney see the Australian production? No, I auditioned for it though. Yeah, so it was non-replica. That's right. Which was like a big deal at the time. So this is when – so Sydney Theatre Company did it. Yeah. And it was in like – I'm going to say like early 2010 and it was – because I think I'd just started working at Playbill at yeah, the time. Yeah, that's right. It would be. And um, and I remember that it was like early on in like Kate Blanchett and Andrew Upton's Being like, like – creative like directors. artistic yeah, yeah. Um, directorship at, at a Sydney Theatre Company. And so they put this musical on and it was not good. Not good. Not good. I remember hearing how bad it was and I almost was like happy because I obviously didn't get in. Yeah. 
Because, yeah. It, it was, Even, like, the audition process was really wanky and shit. It? Like, so shit. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it, to be honest, like, not the productions. Like, so it was non-replica, which I found kind of odd so soon after. Do you want to explain what that means yeah, to Yeah, so, like, normally when a show comes to Australia or goes to London or whatever, for, for a certain period after the professional production has happened, um, it will be the exact same physical production as yeah. what's done on Broadway. Yeah, like, not like a new interpretation no, of the so piece. so it's like the director is the same director. Yeah. Even if they don't physically come out, like an associate director does it, yeah. it the idea is that it, the costumes that are the production. same, the set is the same, yeah. like all of the physical elements of the production are the same. And and that is normally what happens for some period after the professional production yeah. has occurred. But this was sort of, I think there was a, it was a non-replica in Hungary as well around the same time okay. and that was a big deal because it was only like, three years after yeah. the show had opened yeah and the, I mean the main thing I remember here is like some people were really good but it, like a lot of the actors they'd sort of tried to stunt cast it in a way like it was mm-hmm. like some ex like home and away or neighbors people or whatever it was but they just like they vocally were not up to the job no. like I feel like this is the sort of show where you do have to really search for the people right. and it's because it's also like not really typical music theater voices no, either they're more sort of folky rocky vo- yeah, voices exactly. indie rock I would in say in particular Moritz I remember just being like I don't know what's happening yeah but it was it was a real shame because I was so excited to see it yeah of course yeah that was like that was the first time I'd seen it mm. yeah yeah, disappointing. Yeah. Not surprising. Anyway, so there was that production here in Australia. There was one in Argentina and there's like a Welsh production that was actually in Welsh. That's cool. Well, which that, is cool. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. pretty typical, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, some fun facts. Yeah. Actually, the first one is not a fun fact. Okay. Um, but, yeah, like we mentioned, in the original play, Melchior actually rapes Wendler. Yeah. Um, this was replicated in many of the original workshops but was eventually changed to be a consensual sex scene. Yeah. And a lot of – it is controversial in that they chose to – make it a consensual sex scene because it was, like, so integral to the original play that that, it was that she was raped. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Duncan Sheikah said he just wanted – he wanted there to be more love and more light in the show mm. and it was, like, sort of the only moment in the show where something looks sort of hopeful. Yeah. And I get that. I totally get that. Part of it as well. I mean, they still keep the element, like, he's, like, spanking her, right? Oh, yeah, but she – like, so she sort of asked to That's be spanked right. and then he, yeah. like, goes out of control a bit and they both get freaked Freak out, out. Yeah. and then sort of come back and have sex. So there is definitely an element of, like, they don't know what they're doing. Yes. And they're sort of exploring that side. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how I feel about it. I think, yeah, we should never like gloss over rape, but they made a conscious decision for it to not be rape. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there's so much more about this show that is already controversial and confronting like child molestation and there's a lot of masturbation in the show and not that that's controversial at all, but you know what I mean? Like people still think that's weird. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's interesting anyway that they made that choice. Also, I think, like, Melchior is the main character. It would be difficult to get people on side with the main character right. who is a if rapist. Raped, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, not a fun fact. There are actually quite a few songs that were cut from the show because it was just going to be way too long. Yeah. I think it is still too yeah. long. But anyway, they're all awesome songs because Duncan Sheik can really write a song. Yeah. Um, you can listen to them. They're all on YouTube. I'll link to that playlist because they're great. They're really great songs. Most of them sort of – have been replaced by a similar themed song. Who's singing them, like, on the it's YouTube? It's the original cast, I believe. Like some sort of workshop. Yeah, it's like a demo yeah. of, you yeah. know, what that used to be. So, yeah. 
there's also been a film in the wind for many years since oh, I'm 2009. Sure, yeah. Like they've been talking about, they've been directors attached. Duncan Sheik's written a couple of new songs for the film. It just hasn't gone yeah. anywhere, like all other things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, probably it's just a pipe dream. Also, not surprisingly, the original play was incredibly controversial. So yeah. it was Frank Vedekind's first play. He had it published at his own expense and it wasn't performed until he opened his own repertory company in 1906. Like it was fully controversial. Right. The, so the play was first performed in English in New York City in 1917. So just wow. like just think about 1917 and a play that is about yeah. all of the themes we've just talked about. The Commissioner of Licenses in New York City tried to have it shut down for indecency and for pornography. Yeah. Um, but Frank Vedekind actually like filed an injunction and had the show go on. Wow. It was so unpopular that it only went on for one performance. Wow. Like it closed after one night because yeah. audiences were like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, Interestingly, like quite popular in Germany, didn't have the same sort of, but it's not surprising that New York is a much more conservative sort of audience than Europe. Yeah. So uh, another fun fact, John Gallagher Jr. actually walked out of his callback midway through because he was so intimidated and scared. Oh. Like he just walked out and his agent, I know his agent (laughs) had to convince him to go back in and finish it and paid off because he got the role. Yeah. He's so sweet. You remember his hair in the original? Oh, like it was really I high. Just, yeah. And Skylar Aston's hair was crazy as well. Crazy right? it was had those like little, rolls. Yeah, like think like Spice Girls, like yes. those kind of I little. I can't even think of what they would be called. But yeah, yeah like like, um, like scary Spice type hair. Yeah. Yeah, cute. Amazing. Um, other interesting fact, five of the cast members appeared on Glee. So obviously yeah. we know Leah Michelle was a main character on Glee. Jonathan Groff had a long storyline. Well, because like, they're like best friends yes. in real life, yeah. Which makes me judge Jonathan Groff a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, Skylar Aston was on Glee, Phoebe Stroll and Jenna Askovich. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. That's a lot of people to go yeah. from one show to – anyway, I suppose they're all just the right age. You can also listen to a German language cast recording on Spotify. Oh, yeah. Which is really cool. It's actually great. And you don't have to listen to Leah Michelle's voice. It's some other girl. <laughs> yeah. And the orchestrations I don't, I don't are the hate same. Her voice. I think just hearing her voice makes me think of her too much because okay. it's quite a recognizable and are you voice. mainly like anti just the stories you've heard of her behavior. Yes. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I just think she's a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> sounds, certainly sounds like it, it from what the internet like has said. Ugh. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm going to link to the German language cast recording cause it's awesome. There's also an accompaniments album on Spotify. So it's like this incredible resource. It's got like a track with guide vocals and then an accompaniment track. Yeah. And it's really well made. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I'll link to that as well. All right. Some gateway songs. I think you start with my junk. Yeah. It's cute. It's teenagey. It's really good. Then move on to the bitch of living, which is like the punkiest sort of grungiest one yeah. with the boys singing. Um, you'll love it if you're like into Blink-182. Yeah. <laughs> That's the vibe I get. Then move on to Word of Your Body, a beautiful duet. Um, and then one of the prettiest musical theatre songs of all time, The Song of Purple Summer. Yeah, really pretty. That's the end of the show and it's so pretty. Seriously, though, you could actually listen to the whole cast recording and I think each of them are standalones. Yeah. Like Because of the way the musical is written, you don't need any context for any of the songs. Yeah, so that's that's one of the things that's always stood out to me about this show. And Duncan Sheik is actually quite outspoken about this. He's like, I'm not a musical theatre writer. Yeah. These are pop songs. They are. They're like, all standalone pop and songs. so in some ways you could argue that this isn't even a musical mm. because because the songs don't move the story forward at any point. <sighs> They're songs about things and not songs like where things happen to people. There are a couple. 
Yeah. So I think like the word of your body is definitely one where like things happen in that song. Yeah, true. And probably um, what the other one where the two guys get together. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Which I think this is the word of your body reprise. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. And maybe whispering because that's where she decides to like she'll keep the baby and it'll be fine. Although none of that is in the lyrics. No. That's what's happening. That's right. Yeah. But it's almost like that song is necessary for her to come to that realisation. It's true, yes. So, like, she still has an emotional journey. Yes. And I do think that they tend to have emotional journeys in the songs. It's just that, yeah, like, the lyrics are never representative of what the character is going through. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always found that fascinating. Like, yeah, I've seen him in interviews just be like, yeah, like, I'm not a musical theatre writer. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's the definition of, like, musical theatre? I think the character has has to be in a different place at the beginning than the end. Okay, well yeah. then that definitely, yeah, I would say happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just it's, it is an interesting difference in that show, though. Yeah, and it's so obvious when you listen to the cast recording because you don't need to know what's happening. You really yeah, don't. Exactly. You, like you don't need any context. The They're one, just great it's, songs. It's not a gateway song, but but the um, Mama Who Bore Me reprise. Oh, so I just, good, isn't it? I, I, I've always been obsessed with that. What I love about it too is like, because they're so young and I don't, it must have been purposeful in the way that they were recorded it, but the vocals don't always come in or finish at the same time because mm. it's like an ensemble. It's like a bit messy in yeah. the way that it's sung and it, that's sort of the point because they're kids. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's cool, I think. I remember that like Krista Rodriguez and I think Andy Mientes, who were both in the revival, Yeah, I think – Chris Rodriguez was in the original Broadway was, cast as that's well. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then Andy Mantis, I think, was in one of the national tours. He's um, um, Michael Arden's husband. Yes. And um, yeah, it's just funny. Like, they, I think they sort of did that LA production not thinking, because they're very go good friends with Michael Arden, obviously. Yeah. And it was just like not thinking that they were going to go back to Broadway with this show. Yeah. But yeah, like, Chris Rodriguez was like 15 or 16 or something when she did. Like, that's there were crazy. quite a few people. I remember reading a story about how there was one girl who was. Going, she was going to be the. It might have been like Jennifer Damiano, who was in Next to Normal. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, was going to be the. Vendler, she would have been so young. Yeah, the Vendla understudy, Fuck. and then, but normally, like, um, Vendla like gets her boob out, yeah. right? And so when she was on, they, they had to make certain changes because, like, she was not allowed to do the nudity. Yeah, she was too like, young. Yeah, like actually, underage. I think, I think there might have been an understudy who literally was not allowed to do it because she was too young. Fuck. Yeah, because it's like there's certain things that are considered like that's too much for them to do on stage. Yeah, it's child pornography then, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, really? exactly. Yeah, wow. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's fascinating actually that and I I like that about this show that young people perform it. Yes, me And too. I would almost say that by the time the Broadway um, production opened, some of those actors were maybe a bit old. Even. Yeah. Like they weren't teenagers anymore by the yeah. time it opened. Weren't so, they? Well, no. So Liam like 20? Yeah, they would have been. They would yeah. have been. Yeah. Interesting. You know, um, Liam Michelle was offered the role of Eponine on Broadway Pretty much just as it was opening, as Spring Awakening was opening on Broadway, and she um, declined Les Mis to do to do Spring Awakening. Yeah, Yeah. wow. Yeah, that's yeah. But I think of course she was in the original cast of Ragtime. She was. That's right. She was a young girl. Yeah, she had. Well, she was young Cosette before. I was about to say. I thought she'd done Les Mis. Yeah, but like. I suppose after you've done a workshop for that long, you would want to stay and see so it through. Attached, like you yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be like the fiftieth Eponine on Broadway, would you? No, over the original Vendler. Yeah, absolutely. She wasn't nominated for any awards, wasn't she? No. Interesting. Was Jonathan Groff? Yeah, he was nominated for Best Actor. Okay, cool. And oh, I'm trying to think of who got it that year. It was someone like. Was it David Hyde Pierce in Curtains? <sighs> I thought he might have won for Curtains. 
did was Christian Ball or, or did the guy from Mary did Bert in Mary Poppins win? Because oh, that was the year of Legally Blonde. Did Christian Ball get nominated for no, anything? No, I don't think so. Well, I don't think he won anyway. <sighs> Let me find out. Yeah, yeah, it could have been the Bert from Mary Poppins. Mm. What was that? What did I say? Two thousand seven. Two thousand seven Tonys. Tonys. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. It's funny because as I was researching this, I was like, oh, why am I doing Spring Awakening? Like it's such a bleh. And I just think it had a moment in my life that was important. My my feeling about it is, and I've seen bad productions since, like amateur productions. Yeah. And I don't know if there is a good one. True. Do you know? But that's it. That's that's sort of what I feel like. It has to be so good for it to work. Yeah. And I just get the feeling that that original production really was just onto something with the way that they staged it yeah. and therefore it worked. Um, cause yeah, even that revival, I loved what they did with the revival and I was so glad I saw it, but it wasn't the production that I didn't appreciate because I thought the production was incredible, but it did highlight some of the, the, in, like, yeah, some of the things that aren't that great with the book. To yeah. Me. Yeah. It was David Hyde Pierce who in won for curtains. Oh, I'm just a. Raul, but he was up against Raul from That's Company. That's right, Raul and Company. Raul didn't get it. But that year, like, so David High Pierce won for Curtains. There, he was up against Michael Cerveris, Raul, Jonathan Groff and Gavin Lee as well. I think we've talked about that year before. That's a crazy year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. a big year. Oh, dear. Yeah. Awesome. Spring Awakening. I know, right? Oh, I'm just looking at in the same year for leading actress. So Christine Ebersole won for Great Gardens, Gardens that year, but yeah. she was up against Laura Bell Bundy for Legally Blonde, Audra McDonald for 110 in the Shade, and Deborah Monk for Curtains. Oh, it's so like a very that's, strong year. That's a full-on group of women, it like, is. you know, the best possible way. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Spring Awakening. Awesome. Maybe don't listen to it. I don't know. No, do listen to it. Maybe. Just don't see it. Just don't see it. Yeah, refuse, <laughs> flat out refuse. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's great to listen it's to. It's great to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to okay. talk about? This week we're going to have some fun with a little show. Think. Oh, <laughs> that's what you think. Isn't that Charlie Brown? That's what you think. I don't know. Not quite. I don't know what I'm quoting. Um, I'm doing a fun show called The Drowsy Chaperone. Oh, that is fun. Yeah. You yeah. like this show, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know who couldn't. Right? I I actually think this is one of the most universally appealing shows. I 100% agree. Yeah. So, like, this yeah. show to me is just, like, an absolute joy. Like, yes. I love how original and funny it is. I love how if you love musicals, there's so many amazing hidden gems in it, but also, like, you don't need to love musicals to enjoy it. Yeah, because it's show. so, like maybe tongue-in-cheek or sarcastic or something that and it's, it's just like, like funny enough. it's funny. Yeah. Like it's just a funny show, yeah. you know. Um, I will say I think it's the sort of show you need to see to really appreciate. I agree. So like although there's a few songs in the score which stand alone or like are great bangers, there's not that many. Most of it you kind of have to be witnessing the show to appreciate the song. I can actually only think of like one song yeah. that I remember. Yeah, yeah. And like it was funny because like going back and listening to it this week because I think of this show as like when I've seen it I have – loved it right yes. like Squabologic did it we've talked about them many times they did it at the Hayes some yeah, years I ago and I saw Pretty that production yeah saw that production twice hmm. it was so good it's one of the best things I've ever seen at the Hayes and what um, big fish what are you talking about I think it was better than big fish oh, I'm sorry fuck you um and I loved it so much saw it twice and yeah and I, but it's funny like going back and listening to it I was like oh yeah this isn't really about the songs, no, this show. It's so not. I think it's also like a little bit maybe like I think 
Spelling Bee has a stronger score, but to me I had to see Spelling Bee to really appreciate it as a show. That's interesting. Mostly I think because the cast recording, um, it's a bit harder to listen to because the voices are so, like, distinct. So charactery. Yeah. Yep. I would agree with that. Yeah. But I also think this, like, Spelling Bee, Jazzy, like, like the both of them just don't have standout songs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they, need, they the show needs the songs rather yeah. than them being kind but of. But that, that's not a bad thing, I don't think. Like, no. I'm not saying that that is a detriment. No, I agree. I mm. still think it's a fantastic show overall. So, Jazzy Chaperone. So, book by Bob Martin and Don McKellar and music and lyrics by Lisa Lambert and Greg Morrison. Have they done anything else? That- so, all four of them are members of the Canadian and, like, specifically Toronto kind of improv comedy film and avant-garde theatre scene. So, like, places like Second City, that sort avant-garde. of thing. In, in Toronto. Um, so, Bob Martin, who also played Man in Chair, is the all, only one of these four to continue working, oh. like, on Broadway in, like, commercial musical theatre. So, he's since gone on to write the books for Elf the Musical and The Prom, which hmm. is being released on Netflix December 11th, by the way. And he was also one of the people who adapted it for the screen That's from cool. the stage show. Um, so the story. So Jazzy Chaperone uses a show within a show structure. So our narrator um, is a character called Man in Chair. He is a total Broadway nerd who is going to spend the afternoon telling us all about one of his favourite forgotten Broadway musicals of the 1920s <laughs> entitled The Drowsy Chaperone. Do you know I think Man in Chair is my favourite character in musical theatre? So a side note to say that I self-identify as a Me man too. in chair. And I'm wearing a cardigan right you now are. just like his cardigan. And it's like literally one of my dream roles um man yes. chair um and there was a thing going around um on social media a little while ago where you had to describe yourself in three fictional characters nice. and my three were tracy flick from election which yes. who reese witherspoon plays miss piggy and man in chair <laughs> that to me is like mine was liz lemon velma from scooby-doo and um elizabeth bennett yes love it <laughs> So um, so as Man in Chair sort of starts to describe the show to us, it starts being enacted in his apartment. Um, he has broken the fourth wall between him and the audience, but the performers, like it's still there for the performers, so they're not aware yeah, of he's his presence or... on stage with him kind yeah. of thing. But he he's aware of the audience and of the performers. And of the performers, yes. So good. And sort of commenting between the two on the action and everything. <laughs> so he tells us the story of the show, which is essentially it's the wedding, it's the day of the wedding of oil tycoon Robert Martin and Broadway star Janet Vandergraaf, who plans to give up her, her stage career for married life. Uh, the others in attendance are a whole cast of sort of stereotypical 1920s-style characters, including the ageing, drowsy, read, boozy chaperone, <laughs> Um, gangsters disguised as pastry chefs, a Latin lover named Aldolfo, a producer named Mr. Feldzig, and more. Basically, the producer doesn't want his leading lady to quit her career on the stage, so he tries to thwart the wedding. Um, ultimately, and there's like lots of shenanigans in between, right? Ultimately, <laughs> though, love conquers all, and there are a total of four weddings at the end of the show, which end up taking place. Is there on a, a funeral? Po- on a, no. Sorry. Which end up taking place on a plane to Rio and they're performed, um, like, ministered by an aviatrix, so a female aviator named Trix. Um, the man in chair ends up joining in the finale as the cast members are able to see him for the first time and cheer him on. Love it. So um, this has one of my favourite, like, origin stories of a musical. Hmm. Um, so of the, I don't know how much you know about this, but of the four of the sh- the four show writers, Bob Martin was actually the only one who wasn't involved in its original incarnation, hmm. and that's because it was written for his stag night 
He's Bucks Knight for his 1998 wedding to ja- Janet Vandegraaff. So Robert Martin and Janet Vandegraaff are actually real people, right? Like his friends took those their names and made a little musical about them. I love it. Um, at that stage, the character of Man in Chair didn't exist. Um, they then sort of realised that they might be onto a great idea. The show would not work without Man in Chair. No, and I think they realised that pretty early on. So they decided to do the show at the Toronto Fringe Festival hmm. and, and that's where they added the character of Man in Chair as sort of a narrator, like, framing device for the mm. show. Um, it's then done at a number of different places, like in Toronto, um, like a bunch of producers came and saw it and all these different things. And it basically works up to like, it's like producers want to take it to Broadway. Like it just kind of gets bigger and bigger, you know, as it goes along. So the show begins previews at the Marquee Theatre, which is the one inside the the Marriott in Mm. Times Square on April 3rd, 2006. And it ran until December 30th, 2007, playing 706 performances. Ruth, are you doing another musical from the mid-2000s? I will get there. I will get there. Don't worry. fuck? So that original Broadway production recouped its original investment in only 30 weeks. Jesus. So it was like a... Very much a commercial success, yeah. Yeah. He was nominated for 13 Tony Awards. Oh, I thought Spring Awakening was a lot with 11. 13. 13. Um, And it won five. It won Best Book, Best Score, Best Featured Actress for Beth Level, who played the Drowsy Chaperone, Yeah. um, Best Scenic Design and Best Costume Design. And I think all of those were very well deserved. I think Sutton Foster deserved one, but anyway. Well, true. Mm. uh, Lashan's won that year. Oh yeah, for color purple. For color yeah. purple, yeah. Um, the show transferred to the West End whilst it was still playing on Broadway, ah. um, with Bob Martin reprising his role as Man in Chair in London. Yeah, nice. Um, however, it didn't do well at all, despite it being a, a critical success. Interesting. It began previews on May fourteenth, two thousand and seven, and closed on August fourth after fewer than a hundred performances. I wonder why. I think they just it, like maybe the humor wasn't quite right. Like, like, and it's <laughs> funny. I've seen interviews where Bob Martin was like, actually, there was stuff in the London production that was way better than the Broadway production. Oh, wow. But it just didn't sort of Just didn't land with them. So as Josephine just mentioned, apparently I am obsessed with the 2006 (laughs) theatre season. I have – I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago and and it's also weird to me that I've done all these musicals in a row without realising they were all from the same time (laughs) period. But, like, I've done three out of the four best musical nominees for 2006 in the past month and I really had no idea that I was doing that, that they were all from the same season. But, like, such a formative time for us. Yeah, Colour Purple, Wedding Singer and this. And Jersey Boys is the other one. I don't think I'll be covering Jersey Boys for a while. Sad to say. Um, In the original production, like in the – the stag party production, Lisa Lambert, one of the composers, played the drowsy chaperone and Don McKellar, the code book writer, played Aldolfo. Nice. Um, Can I just say I think Bob Martin is perfect as man in chair. He's so good. Like he is man in chair. He is. He's incredible. Yeah. Um, similarly to what we discussed when we talked about Spelling Bee, um, as the show grew and developed, so did what was expected of the performers, hmm. which is basically the only re- reason that only Bob Martin was still in the show, like f- all the way through since every other part kind of required a Broadway caliber performer. Yeah, of course. So, you know, as it went along, like more and more performers like weren't involved anymore who were involved originally. However, anyone heavily involved in the creation of the show or who performed in any of the early productions gets a percentage of the show's royalties. So nice. yeah, it's it's good. That is good. Um, I wonder Bob, if that comes from them like being part of a collective to begin I, with. I definitely think it is. Like that's just the attitude that yeah, they had going in. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Bob Martin is also tapped to be writing the books of the in-development Princess Bride musical. <gasps> Shit! Yeah, yeah. Where's my little 
Yeah. I fucking love the Princess Bride. Yeah. It's an all-male creative team, though. Oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and also, though, get, no, get your other one ready Fuck again. You, He's patriarchy. also doing the stage adaptation of the Smashed musical the smash tv show yeah that's cool yeah so i think he'll be i think he i think he's very talented that's interesting though because he's such a comedian that smash doesn't really like strike me as comedy yeah but his thing is definitely just good story structure and stuff like that Mm. um so several of the creators of Drowsy Chaperone were also involved in a television show in Canada called Slings and Arrows, which is I a, love Slings and have Arrows. You watched it? The Shakespeare one, right? Yeah. Oh fuck, so good. Yeah, it's a, a comedy set at a fictional. Have you seen sh- it? No, I've never seen it. Ruth, you would love it. It's so it's set at a fictional Shakespeare festival. Um, it aired so in 2003 in Canada and then in the USA on the Sundance Channel in 2005, which drew it a much wider audiences. There were three seasons in total and I really want to see it. It's so good. Yeah. So the, when they do it. Hamlet, oh, fuck, it's I'm pretty good. sure he's in it, right? Yeah. I haven't seen it in so long actually. Yeah. I should watch that. Yeah. So good. I wonder if it's available. I, I Did you look, look that, that up? up? No. I'm going to do that while you keep talking. Okay. Carry on. Um, It was Casey Nick, the Drowsy Chaperone was Casey Nicolaw's first Broadway show as director as well as choreographer. So he'd been a choreographer before, like for Thoroughly Modern Millie, I think, but not director. Mm. Um, he has, of course, gone on to do many, many more shows, including The Book of Mormon, Aladdin, Mean Girls and The Prom. But this was his first time just um, being the director. I thought that was cool. That is cool. Um, during the show, Man in Chair mentions that the original Jaz- Drowsy Chaperone, like the made-up show, played the Morosco Theatre, but they tore it down and put up a hotel. Um, that's an in-joke because the Broadway theatre that the real show Drowsy Chaperone played at was the Marriott Marquis, hmm. the hotel for which they tore down five Broadway theatres in 1982 to build. Um, that's also why there's a theatre inside that hotel. Yeah. Um, that was the compromise basically. Um, but, yeah, I just thought that was funny that they that made is that good. joke. Yeah. So let's talk about – so the show within the show structure of it means that some very funny things happen throughout the show, um, including, like, the record he's playing skips at one point, so a small music and dance sequence is repeated several times <laughs> until the man in chair, like, bumps the turntable oh, and gets the record it. playing again. Um and although the real show is performed in one act, the made-up show is actually is actually a two-act show. So at the end of the made-up first act, Man and Cher, like, goes to change the record to the second disc and then, like, goes to the bathroom. And, and at that point we see a number from a completely different made-up musical because he's put the wrong record in, right? So um, fucking So it's clever. a made-up musical by the same composer and librettist and with the same performers, but it's a horribly racist show supposed to be invoking Chinese stereotypes called Message from a Nightingale, oh, um, and he basically runs back in halfway through the number, realizing that he's put the wrong record on. But so, like, suddenly, like the stage is completely transformed, and we're in this like terrible other show. Oh my god! But it's the same performers. Yeah, um, fantastic. I also love that. The character of Man in Chair, who's the narrator, like essentially doesn't sing. And so you can get like some truly gifted comic actors in the part. Like Bob Saget replaced Bob Martin. Did you know that on Broadway? Physically, yes. Such a good – I did know that. And I think – like he's a comedian, so it's perfect. Yeah. I don't know about like the mousy sort of agoraphobic part of, yes. of the yeah. character, but I would love to have seen that. Yeah, and also like I'm sure he's not that obsessed with musical theatre. No. But like I think he would have acted He would have well. acted really well. Yeah. I actually have always had a crush on Bob Saget. Have you? Uh, yes. Interesting. What a great character in yeah. Full House. Come on. Um, And the part kind of 
reminds me of the vice principal in Spelling Bee for that reason. Oh, like, yeah. you know, like you can just have like someone come in and just be so funny and so they true. don't need to be able to sing, you so know. So true. Um, he has a, like, Manichae has a monologue which opens the show whilst everyone is sitting, like the audience is sitting there in darkness that I just have to read a bit of because I just think it's so genius. Ready. So I hate theatre. Well, it's so disappointing, isn't it? You know what I do when I'm sitting in a darkened theatre waiting for the curtain to rise? I pray. Dear God, please let it be a good show and let it be short. Oh, Lord in heaven, please. Two hours is fine. Three hours is too much. And keep the actors out of the audience. God, I didn't pay $100 to have the fourth wall come crashing down around my ears. I just want a story and a few good songs that will take me away. I just want to be entertained. I mean, isn't that the point? Amen. And he he goes on. That's a whole big monologue that he does that opens the show, but that's just the beginning of it. Um. If nothing else, you have to watch Sutton Foster do show off at the Tony Awards. If you um, don't watch that after you listen to this episode, yeah. you're fucked. Yeah, I'll link to it. Um, and they also start the performance with the man in chair, like because he's sitting there like watching TV. Yeah, he, he's like, watching like the previous the, the person who's just won, like their speech. And he's playing that drinking game. Yes. He's like, what, it, what is it? They oh, said when they thank their. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They, they said thank you. Yeah. And they then said he takes thank a you drink. and he does a shot. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I love it. And then it goes on. They do the. The, the the song show off. Yeah. Um, God, she's good in that. Yeah. That's so when you realise that she. Janet Vandergrave. That's when you realise she's a proper triple threat. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. It is insane. It's insane. I, and I saw an interview with her where she was like, it's the most she's ever done in a song on a Broadway show. Like, <laughs> it's, it's the most anyone would ever yeah, have done. exactly. Like, there's all these tricks and stuff in uh, it. So, um, so there's only the original Broadway cast available, but I will link to the Spotify recording of that. Um, okay, so there's some gateway songs. So, yeah, like I said, like this was kind of a tricky one because yeah. the songs aren't really the thing that make the show good. No. Um, I think it's a perfect show for like community theatres, that sort of thing. I, I really do think it's a fantastic show. Well, because show. it's pretty much like a golden age musical. Yeah. It's pretty much like anything goes or crazy for you but with a really clever like overarching frame and like a bit of that like tongue-in-cheek like self-referential stuff as well yes exactly so it's got all the elements of what uh, like of like a boring old musical made fun yeah exactly so definitely show off that i just mentioned definitely um, is like number one gateway song i i think to be honest like that's the best song in the show Mm -hmm. um like even just in terms of like remembering the songs and stuff the song i am Adolfo," um (laughs) which the like latin lover as we said sings is a great character song it is um and again it's you know danny burstein played you know who we've talked about before in like the fiddler episode and a few others um he was incredible um again just like a really good character song for a boy to do yeah um and actually the third one that i've listed is they call it hello on the cast recording oh, that's a good and, it's, choice. and it's like the man in chair doing a little like intro to the show basically and i think that that's worth having just Again, like if we're talking like, you know, things to introduce you to this show, then that is literally like he's telling you basically the conceit of the show. Yeah. Um, and that's a track on the cast recording. So, yeah, those are my three gateway songs. And that is The Drowsy Chaperone. That was good. Thank you. I do. I forget how much I love that show actually. Right? Yeah. But you're right. You've got to see it. Yeah, you It's do. like the opposite of Spring Awakening where you shouldn't see it. Yeah. You should just, <laughs> just listen. listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think – don't don't necessarily listen to the cast recording of it. Just go watch YouTube clips. Of Spring Awakening, you reckon? No, of Jazzy Chaperone. Oh, Jazzy Chaperone, yeah. Yeah, no. De- but definitely watch Show Off. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, God, she's so she's good. She's so good. And Bob Martin at the beginning is so good. Yeah. Yeah, he's so perfect in it. It's just got that, like, 
It's got like that musical theatre sheen on it. Yeah. That is, it's like, yeah. And, and that just song nice. has like quick changes in it oh, and like yeah. acrobatics and yeah, magic a tricks. <laughs> and yeah, it's so good. Yeah. And also I think that part of it is that um, it's just got, yeah, it is. It's, it's that musical theatre magic thing yeah. that that show has. Yeah. But, but like they're taking the piss of it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So you love that. I also love that it literally started as a show that their friends wrote for their wedding. I know. Like, oh, my God. That's so cool. And it became a Broadway show. Yeah. I just think that that is. Such a successful one too. So magical, yeah. you know. Oh, musicals. Yeah. Musicals, yay. Um, so we listen to our mixtape on Thursday. Yeah, tune into the mixtape. It'll be good it'll be good they're always good <laughs> they're always good we love making them we and, love making um, them otherwise we'll see you next monday and like and subscribe and all yeah, that shit feel free to contact us as well if something's wrong or you want to offer an opinion or you just want to say hi uh, we've got lots of ways to contact us um you'll figure it out otherwise please give us a review on apple podcasts that'd be great that would be really helpful and uh we'll see you next time yeah bye bye, bye.